Last week, uh, uh, Pastor Devin began with um, a waiver. I call them squirrel phrases. You see them in every contract. We don't mean this and we don't mean this. Let me say what we don't mean when we say love his church. What we don't mean is that we are belittling or making fun of any church that has signs or promotions that say, I love, and then you put the name of the church. I hope and pray that you love this church and that the folks that go to Butterfield or First Baptist or First Methodist, First Presbyterian, I pray that they love their churches. That's a good thing. The point we're trying to make, what we're feeling led to do is help us see the church, which is so much larger and bigger even than what he's doing here. And we love what he's doing here. But God is doing something at the same time in every place on this planet. And uh, wherever you go, if you step into a portion of his family, though you can't speak the language, you don't know the culture, you'll still know that you know that you know that you're dealing with brothers and sisters Many times you will know that they would even lay down their lives for you. There's something about the family of God that's supernatural. And that's what we're emphasizing here. Last week, he told us that the church is important because it costs Jesus a lot. He purchased it with his life and with his blood. He gave us two key words that have to do with the church. Ecclesia and koinonia. Ecclesia means basically a public coming together. There's all kinds of definitions. It's the, the called out ones. Um, koinonia means deep relationship. We sometimes call it fellowship. Some people say, joke that it's a bunch of fellows in the same ship. But it is deep relationship. It's more than just something we can do. There's something supernatural about it. But we're going to study today the natural things we need to do to let the Holy Spirit do what only he can do. He said that the, one, the way we interact with one another is the ultimate witness to the world that God and his church are real. And you can see that um, there's a prayer from Jesus in John 17. It's one of the high priestly um, chapters in John as Jesus is preparing for his death on the cross. And he began to make prayers. And there's one prayer that Jesus prayed, I, I call it the, the prayer that God prayed that only we can answer. It's the only one I'm aware of, and I'm going to quote it, and this was a big part of what uh, Jesus said and something what Devin shared. It's John 17, 11. The second half of the verse says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So the prayer of Jesus was that we would be one. And we have a part in seeing that prayer answered. The fourth thing he said is what is dangerous to the world is the unified church. The whole focus last week is that the church of God, the church that we love, is called to be a unified church. And that's no easy thing to do because, you know, we're different. We can't even agree, you know, on what flavor of ice cream is from God, which is chocolate. But the rest of you, you can catch up with us. Um, he says, the harvest that the world needs will only come when the church gets healthy and begins to exhibit this love one for another, the clearest witness to God's love. The fifth thing, he gave a free advertisement for Star Wars. You guys remember that one? He asked everybody, who's seen the trailer to Star Wars? And at that time, he gave this really ricochet, oh, it's so good. Well, his point was, 
although Star Wars would probably be great. I'm a Star Wars fan too. But the point was that we as the church are a movie trailer. We are a glimpse to a lost world of the good thing that's about to come. And when we do it the right way, we get far more excitement. He pointed out that the Star Wars trailer for the upcoming movie, I don't think it comes out till December. Um, it broke the internet in, you know, in 60 minutes. It, was, it literally stopped the internet and they had to start it up again. It had so much interest and excitement. And so many hits came on there. The computers that support the internet were just knocked down. What if the church was the church? What kind of excitement? I actually am convinced that part of the great harvest that's upon us right now is triggered by the church finally beginning to be purified and the sweet fragrance of supernatural love coming. Because I don't know about you, I'm convinced that if the church was the church, they'd be breaking down the doors to, to this building and every building that houses part of his family. We wouldn't have to do the gimmicks and the work and all that stuff. The greatest promotion for the kingdom of God is the word of mouth and the kind of love that oozes out of us constantly. Real Christians are that way even on a bad day. I'm not saying real Christians are perfect. Real Christians just let Jesus out even when they're mad, when they're upset. Somehow he oozes out of you and it blesses people and makes them hungry for more of God. I want to read this passage from John 13. We're going to put it up on the screen. John 13, verses 34 through 35. This is the New International Version. These are the words of Jesus. A new command I give you. Not a new suggestion, not a new wish or a hope. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. This is koinonia. This is a picture of what it's like. Finally, at the very end of his message, Pastor Devin gave us four ways to respond to this command of Jesus. This is his command and then it's also his prayer that the end result of us loving one another is that we become one like he and his father are one. So these are four ways, and he gave us, I call them the four P's of response. Priority, proximity, participation, and actually it's five P's, patient, perseverance. But they link together. We're going to go into that a little bit more. Now, let me make something really clear. Every journey begins with a first step, Every marriage begins with a first connection of eyes and hearts. Every friendship begins with a first meeting. And sometimes we'll take a photograph of that moment and that's what we remember the rest of our lives when actually it's the first step of a journey. Everyone who comes to the Lord in one way or another follows a pattern in Romans 10, 9 through 10. I'm going to read it for you. And this is the beginning. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. That is a glorious beginning. But do you realize that that is opening the door? 
Many, many believers stop there. It's like stepping into your house. You've been invited to a party and invited to actually live in a home. You open the door, step in just to the side of the door and remain there for life. One of the saddest pictures I could ever think of. What a waste of relationship, adventure, unity, and growing together as a family. Our point is that Jesus did not call us to make conversions. We definitely have a point when we come to Jesus, we are saved by faith, saved by grace. But from that moment on, Jesus didn't ask for much, just everything. And we're going to look at that. We're going to talk about the fact that he calls us into discipleship. He calls us to be followers. Three times in the scriptures, three times in three gospels, are called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three times, three witnesses, he said, if any man would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Not take one step. Is one step following? That's just the first step. We are saved and transferred into the kingdom of light from darkness instantaneously when we receive Jesus Christ and make a confession of our faith. If that hasn't happened, we need to do that. But that's just the beginning. After that, his grace floods into our lives to help us go on from there. How many ladies in this room have been blessed to have a child? Raise your hand. So... When you dump that child in the ditch after that, would you just go put them in the kitchen and leave them alone? Or did you actually nurture them to grow? How many of you now have grandchildren? How many have great-grandchildren? Yes. Bless you, bless you. And uh, Leo, I'll let you raise your hand because you are a daddy. That's good. But, um, but either way, because you nurtured those children and you followed through and let them come to maturity, they in turn were able to duplicate, replicate, and now there are more images, little yous, running around this earth. Praise God for that. That's an, a physical picture of God's plan for us as believers. So I'm just going to move on. That's just step one. Um, with discipleship, I've already moved on to that. If you want to find those addresses in Matthew 16, in Mark 8, and in Luke 9, that's where you see all these mentions that Jesus have of following him. If uh, the simple de definition of following him is being a disciple, one who follows and learns, walks in the footsteps of Jesus. Next, he carefully places us in his church. I'm going to show you two brief passages 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18, consider this picture. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. King James says, and he has set each one in his body. It's not casual. Some of you, I have been in a situation where we lived in different cities and different states where we were in the very difficult position of trying to find a church that we sensed was the place God says, this is the place called there. Because we understood then and I understood now that you can't bloom until you're planted. God causes us to grow when we have each other to work with. 
It's, it's only when brother sharpens brother like iron sharpens iron that we really begin to grow. It takes some irritation and some suffering to be perfected. And uh, we'll get into that. doesn't sound too fun. Gee, come to the first church of suffering. That'll be great. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's get into the four Ps. This is the way we answer God. But I, I promise two. Let me give you Ephesians 2 in the Message Bible. Ephesians 2, verses 20 through 22. This is a good picture of the process that goes on in the church and why we need the four Ps. Ephesians 2, 20 through 22. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you. Fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. Some masons call it the coping stone. It's the one by which everything else is measured. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. This is a picture of a living, vital building made of living stones, another picture from the scriptures. This is why God never intended for us to um, isolate ourselves. You know, just me and God at home. Well, God would love you and continue to love you. You would continue to love God, but I can tell you that your growth would be stunted. One of the things that's unique about human beings is that God made us with an opposing thumb. Isn't that interesting word, terminology? He sets us in the family, and we have lots of opposing thumbs. And it seems like it goes against what the other fingers are doing, but actually it's that working together that makes a hand so useful. It's because of these hands and the mind and heart that drives them that we're able to create the things we create. God puts us in a family with opposing members that are opposites, so to speak, so that we can actually grow and accomplish things together we could never do apart. The four Ps, you ready for them? Hallelujah. Number one, priority. Gathering together, ecclesia, and drawing close to each other, which is koinonia, will only begin when we make it the priority that Jesus desires it to be. He commands us to make this our top priority. It's our job to obey. He and his kingdom come first. That's hard for us. We're Americans. We like to do it the way we want to do it, when we want to do it, and because we choose to do it, by golly. Well, I'm thankful for freedom. I'm very thankful for that. But I'm even more thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus. I have rediscovered a king who is perfect. Any other human king, not so much. But when we have a king on high, who bought us with his own blood, who loved us more than he loved his own life, we can trust that king. So we need to rediscover what it's like to have a king and be part of a kingdom. So he says this priority is important. You have to, in, in our society, that means you have to schedule time, sometimes schedule it ahead of time because we're too busy. Don't you know it? I mean, there's some of you guys, uh, I've... Um, Steve, I was thinking of you. I promised you two weeks ago we need to get together. But you know what? I didn't come to you with a calendar. Have we gotten together in two weeks? <laughs> you don't know. That's right. 
That's exactly what happened. So I have to make it a priority, get my calendar, lock in the day, the time, and the place, the fact that you're buying me lunch, and then, <laughs> no, that's okay. And then we need to do it. Otherwise, it does not happen. All you have to do to ask about priority is talk with your spouse or talk with your kids. We hate it as parents when we let our schedules overrun us and we maybe we miss a ball game that we knew was important to our little guy or our daughter. They expected us to be there. We need to make certain things priorities. And the Lord says make his kingdom top priority. Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right way of doing things. And all these other things that you need, housing, food, clothing, these things will be added besides. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Jesus says. Now, priority is often measured in at least five ways. I'm just going to rattle them off here. Time and resources. Sometimes resources can be money, um, your abilities. Time and resources. If you allocate time and resources, we know it's a priority. It's proof in the pudding. We've got to get past words to deeds. The Hebrew word for to know is yada. It's the same word used for the way a spouse's are close to each other, even physically. And the Jews used to teach this fact. Jesus was probably taught this by rabbis even growing up. If you say you yada something, I know something, you don't know it unless you do it. I used to absolutely persecute Devin growing up, and, and Ian still hears it every, probably every month at least now, not quite as often. And I'd say, you need to do this. And of course, what does he say? I, I know. I know, I know, I know, 25th time, I know, the socks, the socks, they're eating into the carpet, they're so foul, they've got to be picked, I know, oh, that one got a response, mm-hmm, okay, <laughs> but the rabbis would say, if you don't do it, if you're not one with it, you don't know. Don't even use that word. And so I used to just drive that home, drive Devin crazy. I bet you it's going to surface for some certain boys. <clears throat> so we, in, in priority making, don't say I know it needs to be priority. Unless you're doing it, you don't know it. It's, if, you're not, if you're not one with it, part of your life, you don't have this one yet. Don't buy the t-shirt yet. You got to get it done. Secondly, energy exerted. If it matters to you, if it's a priority, you're putting energy into it. If your marriage matters, go past words, men. If your marriage matters, put some energy into it. Whatever it takes, take vitamins, get some coffee, whatever it takes, but suck up some more energy and invest some energy in the things that matter to your spouse. Now, I should get some points for that. I'll be good. Value. You need to attach value to things that are a priority. If something is of value, it shows up in every, everything you do. It shows up in the way you talk about them. <clears throat> um, since I'm on it in relationships, husbands, you still talk about your wives the same way you used to talk about them in, say, the third month of your relationship. You know, she is the best. Whoa, that she's improving constantly. All right, Vicki, that's good. 
Guys, that if, if you value something, it shows up. You attach value to something. Jesus commanded us to love one another. He prayed that we would be one. We need to value his church. It needs to show up on our deeds, our actions, the way we look, the way we act, the way we think. Thought given. Have you ever rushed into meetings where you were expected to have something and you hadn't given thought yet and you were scrambling and trying to make do and of course everybody in the room knew it? Those are embarrassing moments. I don't know about you, but I've had many of those, especially when the fog came in. You know, a mental fog and you haven't prepared properly, you go into a meeting, it's a waste of everybody's time. <clears throat> in the church, if we're going to make the church priority, give some thought to your role in the church. Give some thought on how you can help the church grow, how you can help the people who are the church. The church is not buildings. It's important. It's a tool of the church, but the church is really people. Give some thought to the people God's placed you with. And lastly in this list, affection. It's not really a guy word, but uh, feeling good toward people. Try and guy it a little bit, you know. Uh, Got to have warm, fuzzy feelings. You got to direct some affection toward things that are priority in your life. Now, guys, the Camaro. Somebody had a, a thing on the internet that uh, when the Camaro first came out, uh, reporters were asking, "What is this thing?" And they said, "It's an animal that eats mustangs." <laughs> That's affection for Camaros. Not much affection for mustangs. Second one's proximity. Uh, Devin had made a note one time. He said that proximity, we must um, take time out in our lives to get close. This kind of community and relationship can only happen face to face. Uh, I was constantly surprised, especially in the early years of my pastorate, that occasionally I'd see an obituary and someone had passed away and they would name the church our church is uh, the church that they attended, and I had never actually met them in my life. But, but in word, at least, they belonged to the church, and I didn't mind. I mean, what's it going to hurt? But the whole point was you got to get close. It's nice to at least see each other face-to-face if we go to the church together. i got to stand here for a minute, partly because I'm that kind of person. Okay, some practical stuff. Proximity, fancy word for closeness. You have to be close to get close. You can switch that around too. You have to get close to be close. It's an action thing. Proximity is an action word. You have to take the steps to be close. You have to take the steps to do things together, be together. You realize the church grows not just here. It grows in our homes. It grows in restaurants. We often put it this way. We like to live life together as a family. I encourage you, take vacations together. If it doesn't turn out well, well, don't do that again, but do something else together. But do something together, you know? Just do things together, and it will change you. And, um, you know, venture out. I remember the, the first time uh, I ever had barbecued bologna we were part of a church in Tulsa, and it was, a, it was a rough church. It was a church where we had bullet holes in the buildings all around us and in glass and all kinds of stuff out in the parking lot every Sunday morning. And it was a pioneer church planted right on the edge of oblivion in North Tulsa. 
And it was a multiracial church, black, white, Hispanic, and some folks you had no idea what planet they came from. But we were all there, and we were invited to have lunch in an especially rough neighborhood in North Tulsa. And we, we agreed to come, although we knew we were, we were fish out of water. We didn't know what we were doing, but we came and had the best barbecue bologna I ever had in my life. And uh, the first barbecue bologna I ever had in my life, that's why it's the best. But it was, it still, I have never had it matched since then. And uh, our, our host was John Posey. He's an African-American that grew up, I think, in inner city Detroit without a dad. And a Christian man had taken him and probably about 50 other teenagers in and taught him karate, but taught him how to meditate on the scriptures and taught him how to walk in peace and how to avoid fights and all kinds of stuff. Basically, became a dad to him. And decades go by, and he's now in the ministry, associate pastor at that church, and doing the same thing for kids of all races, beginning to raise them up in character turning them away from gang life and beginning to be a dad to kids that had no fathers. And that, right now, he's in Atlanta being a father to ministers. He's still being a father to fathers. He's a good man. But that was the first place we decided to put action to our words and drive, I think it was about 20 miles from where we lived, basically in the Broken Arrow area, all the way up to this part of extreme North Tulsa, sat down, had a great time, and just fell in love with even more members of the body of Christ. It was an amazing experience. I call, those, I call them what I call our church, we're salt and pepper church. We like to mix it up. And that's, that's God's plan. It's the way it's going to be in heaven. I just love this. Proximity. There's no shortcuts for proximity. Absolutely none. It still requires your presence. Third one. Boy, I'm just not being neat up here. I'm only OCD in certain things. I can't stand things falling out of cabinets. I start, you know, um, having to repent of sins when things fall out of cabinets. I have no idea why that is. And stuff on a thing like this gets me. Okay. Forgive and the last thing under that is forgive and embrace, to be forgiven and embraced. Because we are a family, we are a family. And how many of you know that in families you can choose your friends, but your relatives you're stuck with? Have you have you have you know those Uncle Merles when they show up? You go, oh my gosh! The minute they arrive, you're already counting the hours for when they leave. Well, there's Uncle Merles in every church. They followed you here. You know that, don't you? Every church I've gone to, especially, I don't remember leaving a church to get away from an Uncle Merle. But I do notice that when I did go to churches, there's always an Uncle Merle who loved to sit right by me. Julie, I'm not talking about you. <clears throat> uh, when my wife and I first met, it was at a place called God's Ranch in Mountainburg, and Julie was, uh, had flown in from Los Angeles. She was a valley girl at that time. And uh, she came in with her young daughter, and she was not a believer. In fact, she was probably on the other end of a believer. At that point, she had adopted the complete language skills of her Marine father, so she had the combination Navy-Marine skills. She knew how to take wallpaper off without instruments, you know what I mean? Unique type of French, I guess. Uh, and she was letting that loose because she hated bugs. She still swears that where she was in Oxnard, California, they have no bugs. 
I'm not sure I believe that. But anyway, we brought them all here. So there were bugs and all this stuff. And she was in these high heels that were like five feet tall. I don't know how she walked in like this. And she was with a bunch of Christians, and she was not a Christian. So the language was really sweet. And she had to walk down the aisle with me. It was her sister's wedding. I was the photographer, and I sang in the wedding. And I was in the, 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 one of the groomsmen or something. And she had to walk down the aisle with me, and she could not stand me. I had a beard down to here. I was a Christian guy. I looked like an English geek or something. I don't know. Couldn't stand me. We didn't know it, but about a year later, we would get married. She went home. She had a divine encounter with somebody who uh, drew her into a church. And about the third time, I guess, she had a, she's told her, her story, but she became a Christian and was intensely discipled for a short period of time at a vineyard church there and then felt led to sell everything she owned and come to Fort Smith to be with her sister to see what a healthy family's like. And that's when I met her and I was going to help her find a job. She didn't have a chance. But anyway, from all of that, from that animosity, undeserved animosity, because I was so cute and everything, we went to Red Lobster, and she wore the highest heels she could just to make sure she knew she wasn't going to put up with anything. I mean, she was like towering over me, which is pretty easy. And that was our first date, but we started talking about the Lord Jesus, and we closed Red Lobster. They had to push us out the door because we so busy talking about God's goodness and his mercy. And from that day on, the progression, we not dated intensely for about three months <clears throat> and then later got married. It took priority. Now, after that first meeting in Red Lobster, it was easy to make the priority change. Really easy. I hurried home from work every day. I had some place to go. I had a person to see and things to do. Our life together can have the same qualities. There's something about when you are in a healthy church, I'm not saying perfect church. When you're in a healthy church, you can't wait to get here sometimes. There's times you get burned out, yeah. There's times you're tired. There's priorities in your life and on the job. We understand. That's just life. But when you're in a healthy church, you start looking forward to getting together. And we kind of have to, you know, do flicker the lights, turn them off, push you out the door, you know, get three people to shove you out. And that's actually, that's been happening now. Some of you guys stay here forever. We might as well just let you, you know, give you a vacuum cleaner and leave, let you clean the place. I love that because that's a sign of a healthy flock of Jesus Christ. Third one, participation. Just drawing close, physically close, isn't enough. You have to participate in community. You have to participate in relationships. This is where American church life gets pretty weak because we wrestle and struggle with a fast-paced life. We're always on the go. So I urge you, for your sanity, for the safety of your marriage, for the health of your kids, Make the kingdom of God a priority. Let it dominate the atmosphere in your home. Let the kingdom of God dominate how you do business. Let it dominate how you handle strife and adversity in your marriage because it does come. And let church, as we gather together 
and have koinonia, make this a priority. If you do, you are obeying God. It's not just an, uh, an idea. It's not just so we can grab your money and stuff like that. You guys, we are the church. We do pay bills and stuff, but we're the church. What we do together is what we do together. And I encourage you, make church a priority. Look at, you examine it, and you get with the Lord on it. Now, I want to say, every part of a physical body either participates or withers. Those of you who are in the medical community, some of you have even suffered certain things, say certain diseases. There's every disease that afflicts a human body has a spiritual analogy to it, almost a spiritual analog to it. Uh, multiple sclerosis is, is I think, is a, is a physical imitation of a spiritual malady that affects the nervous system of the human body. And it affects every other system when it has its way. Basically, it scars the communication lines of the nervous system. Uh, sclerosis, or sclero, means scar. And so those scars start forming on us. We don't communicate well together. If, there, if one part of your body isn't communicating to the other, if you have numbness in your feet, it needs to be checked out. Don't let it go on. If you have numbness in any of your extremities, you need to have that checked out. You need to make sure that it doesn't involve blood sugar. It doesn't involve nerve damage. We need to exercise things. Any part of a physical body that does not participate is in danger of withering. It's in danger of atrophying and becoming, of losing its function. And so it's important for us to participate. God's plan for his church was that each part has a function and a purpose. In fact, in Ephesians, when Paul is describing this beautiful picture of the body of Christ rising up, he talks about it in one place. He says that the body depends on the proper function of each part for it to be built up. And it's really true. We need you to be functioning in whatever place God's given you so that the rest of us can grow. We will get there, we can grow, but we can be stunted if part of our body isn't investing that deposit of God. So God's, remember, I heard that God's smart. And so he didn't invest everything in one person. The best of us only see in part according to scriptures. We need each other. And according to the scriptures, Paul went to great lengths in Corinthians and in other parts of the scriptures to teach us to honor each other. Those that maybe don't have this glorious part of getting up and spouting and talking or singing in front of you, you have gifts that are just as powerful and just as vital to the body of Christ. I don't know about you, but I have never seen my kidney. I've never seen my kidney, but I do understand they're needed. And uh, there's other parts that we won't go into, but they are very, very needed. And I do know my little toe is important. If you've ever broken a little toe, have you? How many of you have broken a little toe before? Man, I did when I was a little kid on a playground. This was a, uh, a school where they, back in the days before OSHA, and they just filled uh, tire rims with concrete, and that was holding up our, our net outside. One of the kids lifted it up, you know, angled it, and then dropped it, and my toe was in it. Bang. It split my little toe in three places. I knew that my little toe was important for about four weeks. 
I could feel that thing. I can still feel it when it gets cold. Every part of us is important. We need the function of each part. We have to participate. So anytime you see a loss of circulation, a loss of communication, that's your nerves, a loss of vitality like muscle, muscle strength, normal function of a limb or an organ, if something is missing, it needs attention right away. You've got to participate. Patient perseverance, number four, the final one. Devin loves the fact that the King James version of this is long-suffering. Hey, remember the uh, furniture ad? I, I, I often tried to imitate how he does it. What is that one? The home of fine furniture. What's the name of that? We'll give him a free advertisement. What's the name? Hank's Fine Furniture. I love it. That's like a good, you got that one. Uh, that's a good image. If you need to learn Southern, start with that. After that, you say lat bubs. Yeah, I got to fix the lat bub and yeah. Or yeah, come on, squeet, sco. You know, you shorten all those phrases. Hallelujah. I think I just lost the house. Long suffering. We do you a favor by telling you the truth. It's not easy to really invest in a local body of Christ the way God wants you to. When the 12 agreed to follow Jesus, they agreed to follow him, but I don't think they're too thrilled about following each other. They were fighting over who was going to be number one. They were comparing each other. They wanted to make sure that one didn't get more attention from Jesus than the other. There's all kinds of stuff. And they did that right up to the cross. I mean, it was just irritating. It's almost like an irritating insertion in the gospel story. That's a real good picture of what it's like in a genuine body of Christ. Real people belong to the church, not fake plastic people. So there's going to be people that absolutely irritate your last nerve in the church. And I say, good. There have been times as a pastor that I really felt led to put a certain person into a team or a group of people knowing it would stir the pot. And I prayed about it and I felt peace because I knew that if I didn't, we would end up being beautiful on one hand but weak on another. And so I purposely mixed the pot and sure enough, for the first four or five weeks, had to deal with lots of strife and difficulty, people learning how to communicate. And then after that, it became a cohesive whole that was greater than it was before. And then later when the group had to split up because of moving and doing different things, there were tears all the way around because real, real koinonia took place. Genuine love one for another. One of my best friends in life is sitting right there, Arnie. We've been friends for a long, long, long time. And, uh, and we were probably opposites when we first met, I think. I think. I'll let, you, let Arnie share his own testimony, but it's pretty wild. We were probably the least likely pair, I would think. But from the first moment we met, which was actually potentially filled with strife. It didn't happen that way. He was going to, one of his favorite phrases was, 
is about ready to dot my eye. <laughs> it's got to be a Bostonian thing. I'm going to dot your eye. Oh, yeah. But anyway, he hasn't ever dotted my eye, but uh, we have been close friends, even apart. There's one stretch for almost 15 years we were apart. I think we were in between Tulsa and Pennsylvania. In those days, we'd only see each other or talk briefly. But when we met up, it was as if, as if no time had passed whatsoever. Um, God made us the closest of friends where we can be content in a room and not say a whole lot because we don't have anything to prove whatsoever. I don't know about you. I, I treasure friendships where I just don't have to dance around the maypole. I don't have to walk on eggshells and afraid I'm going to offend somebody. I get tired of that stuff. Sometimes you have to do it in life. But you know what? In your home... In your spiritual home, you shouldn't have to do it. I, we encourage you here, if you're having a bad day, say it. And then add your faith statement afterwards if you want, you know. I'm feeling lousy right now, but in the name of Jesus, I'm healed. But you don't have to pretend and play games. Just say it. Just, just speak the truth. It's a whole lot easier to deal with people that let it go and then move on. Just, let's just be real. It's, it's amazing when you have a church that's real. Suffering is worth it. Closeness produces intimate knowledge and close proximity to others' weaknesses and irritating ways. If you are married, you know what I'm talking about. I used to have the reputation for not having a bad temper at all. Then I got married. And I married a beautiful queen. I did. And Juliana, I love you very much. You're a fantastic mate for life. But somehow you found the hidden part. <laughs> Devin's clapping about the butt. <laughs> oh, those butts are dangerous. But anyway, uh, she brought out stuff in me that I didn't think was there. Didn't take long either. <laughs> Whew. You know why? Because she's an individual. She's not a little me. She's an individual. I married her for the difference. Many of you who are married, very often opposites attract. Do you think the author of the universe is shocked by that? Why would he put so many? Just look around. Look at the variety in this room. And just look. It's, it's kind of entertaining. <laughs> I love it. I love variety. I absolutely do. I like new foods. I like all kinds of stuff. I like wild variety and I have endless variety in the body of Christ and the neat thing is when the Holy Spirit enters this room we're one I loved worship I almost lost it in worship because his presence was so sweet I love what he does with people I remember the first time I got to go to the Philippines I do encourage you to go to the Philippines. If you ever get a chance, go. Let God touch your heart and change you there. But uh, worshiping with people who are, who are singing in languages that I didn't even know. And the Holy Spirit just melted me. And I was scheduled to speak, but I couldn't hardly talk. I was just in tears. I just got on my face. There were about 800 people in the place, most of them pastors, and then young people that were there helping put on the thing. And I just lost it because the love in that room 
was off the scale. I could not comprehend how strong it was. This happened several times. It happened in Guatemala and happened in a lot of different places where the Spirit of God on his family, the church, with people I didn't even know their language, we were speaking the same language. We were speaking Jesus at that moment. It's amazing. Finally, I want to say something that Devin and I were talking, we're texting back and forth. And he said some things that I want to share with you and he can expand on them later. Fellowship, koinonia, is only possible when the church is a safe place. And uh, I used to have a, a wicked wit when I was at Oral Roberts University. I could, you know, I could go back and forth and, and I guess I was pretty good at it and I, I could crack jokes and, and keep everybody laughing and the whole thing, but usually at the expense of somebody. Finally, the Holy Spirit just arrested me one time, just broke my heart and he said, you will not do that anymore. You're hurting the people you love. My friends usually got the worst of it. And ever since then, I've, I've, had a, I've known instinctively, don't go there with your cynical comedy because it hurts people. So, but Devin rattled off some stuff. This is the way you and I can make Grace Church a safe place for people. Clothe yourselves in Christ. That means clothe yourselves with kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Number two, learn to put down the defense mechanisms. You know what I'm talking about? Of judgment, pride, ridicule, cynicism, division. And this one's a big one. Scorn, mask of humor. You know, we sometimes will actually scorn somebody, basically do a put down. And we'll, we'll always mask it as, oh, I'm just kidding when we're not. I, I'm not just pointing the finger at you. That's going right back here at me. Let's just make sure we do that. Let's make this a very safe place. As many people who come here have dealt with that all their lives. It began as children. So what for us would run off our back, for them goes straight into their heart and makes them pull into a shell again. When God wants them to come out in a safe place, get strong, and then fulfill their calling. This should be a healing place for anyone that comes in here. Lastly, we must commit to do no harm, to be peacemakers in the church first. Then we can be peacemakers in the world again. Let's stand. It has been great.